Thank you for joining me today on the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Today's episode is my interview on the Healthcare Leadership podcast, where I discuss the benefits for physician owners to invest in the real estate where they practice and discuss best practices that allow physicians to own healthcare real estate while continuing to practice to their lessons. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Podcast, presented by Referral MD, your go-to resource for increasing practice efficiency and revenue. Each episode, we share tips, tricks, trends, and real stories from physicians and healthcare leaders, so you can hear what really works to grow and manage your practice. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Jennifer, and today I am joined by a special guest, Trisha Talbot. Trisha advises physician owners and investors with opportunities in the healthcare real estate asset class. With more than 20 years as a real estate advisor for healthcare practices, her track record in investment sales and representation for landlords, corporations, and tenants speaks for itself. Trisha um, specializes in comprehensive strategies, including pricing, market fluctuations, and problem-solving solutions that result in successful transactions. Um, Trisha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is a great topic, um, especially for those independent physicians out there looking really to find a way to um, to invest some dollars that maybe they'd like to see for um, for their legacy and also a great way to grow their medical practice. So we were kind of talking before the show started. I think that you've got some really interesting information that our listeners are um, really going to want to grab a pen and paper and, and take some notes. Let's get right into it. So how does a how does a clinician um, own medical facilities and still practice medicine at the same time? So unless they have a, a real estate background, I really recommend that they hire a professional property management company. Um, the property management company can take care of daily maintenance items that come up, meet with vendors, you know, if their AC is um, gone out, they, you know, the clinician doesn't have to meet with them. Um, especially if they do procedures, it's really hard to sort of organize that. And vendors typically, you know, they, they're on a job and they necessarily, they try to be on time, but sometimes the job goes sideways and they have to finish it, um, if they're at another site. So, you know, it, it offers them the opportunity to delegate that to somebody else, um, and if they don't have a property background, it also gives them um, the the expertise that they don't, you know, if they the the vendor knows what they're talking about and knows how to advise them on how to fix it. And um, a property manager can also have a couple of vendors go out and bid it competitively. Uh, so it offers them those services. 
they can also collect rents. Um, they can chase late payments. They can sometimes have a property. Some, some of them have property accounting, which I highly recommend just to keep the books of the building. Sometimes they try to do it all in house and, and, um, you know, if they, they obviously have an accountant for and a bookkeeper for their healthcare operation, but typically the building is a different LLC and it has a separate set of books. So all of those services, unless, you know, a physician wants to have a, a second part-time job doing, I, I readily recommend that they, they hire that out. Um, plus the fact that they want to communicate with these people, it's typically at the end of their day and, you know, vendors sometimes will start really early in the morning and they're done by about three. I mean, that's sometimes that's, that happens. So that doesn't really fit into their schedule. So I think, I think for a, a physician, when they, when they look at, you know, it's, it's like a house, um, you know, the, uh, some people, they don't mow their own lawn or, you know, do certain things, but because they, they don't have the time and it's, it's worth paying somebody else to do that. It's the same when you're, when you want to own a commercial property and it, it becomes even more complex because you've got sometimes in medical buildings, you have generators and you've got HVACs that only service certain rooms. And then you've got plumbing to several bathrooms. And, you know, I, I think that um, at the end of the day, it pays for itself and convenience and, and uh, stress. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, we all know that you know, physicians need to work to the to their license and to the highest license that they've got in real estate, you know, unless they've had a side gig all these years, like it's probably not the place to do it. And and really you don't want you don't want to delegate it to somebody in your practice who already has a job. You know, you want right. someone that's dedicated full time, it would be by assumption, so that you can, you know, be the most efficient and get the get the kind of the biggest bang for your buck. So how would you advise um, a physician who's maybe looking to go into commercial real estate or to acquire a property, choose an advisor? One, I think that they should, you know, have have experience in doing healthcare real estate transactions, commercial real estate, <clears throat> in the commercial real estate world, uh, typically healthcare real estate falls under office for a lot of big firms, um, but it really is its own separate subset. You have to really understand the market when it comes to uh, lease rates and tenant improvements for medical office buildings and space planning. I mean, each specialty has some different unique um, requirements for their space. <clears throat> A lab needs different requirements than an orthopedic group and then, you know, cardiology. <clears throat> and sometimes they have, you know, uh, like an orthopedic group needs a casting room. Um, you know, sometimes there's, um, different diagnostic testings that, the um, cardio cardiologists do as well. Sometimes I see, um, those that are, that want to do so in the States that allow surgery centers, they will like for an orthopedic, they'll have a surgery center and then a clinic space right next to it. And that seems to be really um, convenient when they're looking for real estate. They, need to speak with somebody that kind of understands and can ask the right questions. You know, what exactly are you going to use the space for? If it's a surgery center and clin like clinic space about how big that they're going to need, you know, based on their experience, what it's going to cost um, them. Cause typically in that situation, they purchase it, but they still have to, to stay, they have to purchase it with the real estate fundamentals. So when a, when a healthcare company buys a, a 
building or does it build a suit and they'll still, the practice will still lease the building. And so they have to be able, and they, they can't, they have to lease it under market conditions. So they still have to buy it where they're going to have, where the, the lease rate makes sense. And they know the current market fundamentals to advise properly, because if they get a loan, the lender is going to, you know, want all of this information and uh, they're going to need to be able to supply it. And they need somebody that can help them do that. So that's really good information. You kind of started talking on um, you know, the specifics per subspecialty. So like ortho, you know, my office is actually tied to an orthopedic surgery center, an outpatient surgery center. We're in the old pain management suite that they ended up moving everybody out of. And I sublet space in the attachment to the surgery center, their needs are very different than like you were just saying, like a cardiologist for a cath lab or something to that effect. But um, what are some of the trends that you've seen, or are there even trends that you're seeing since kind of March of 2020 and, and people are starting to return back to work and expectations from a patient standpoint are a little different? Do you have clients that are looking at space differently now than they did pre-pandemic? So medical space started to change when the 2008-2009 recession occurred. When that happened, um, practices were already starting to evaluate the cost of their 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 real estate. And so when they did that, uh, they really started to already sort of say, okay, you know, we have this space. Um, it's really expensive. And we have, you know, let's say 30% administrative space in here. We can move that out to a lower cost general office building for administrative uh, uses. And then we can make this revenue generating clinical space. So they already started down that path in that regard. And I and with the pandemic, um, they also started um, what's called kind of the hub and spoke model where um, like hospital groups, they would, they are, you know, as you know, um, private equity groups sometimes would be buying either, you know, family practice or urgent cares, um, or, uh, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, eye clinics and, and stuff like that. But there's already been this model where, um, you know, the hospital had already started to say, Hey, you know, we're going to put some of our community medicine providers and, and invest in those, uh, and put them in a community that, you know, when they need a hospital, they'll drive it to the closest regional hospital. So that trend had already started to occur and this change in, you know, how to make our medical space that's expensive because it has to be for, because it's either location or tenant improvements, um, or it's a newer building that they needed to go in for a location situation. Uh, that had already happened with the pandemic. Um, you know, telemedicine was just starting to get a little bit of foothold. And now I think a lot of practices are folding it into a part of their practice. It can't be 100% because they still need to see patients, but they can do some pre, like uh, like some sort of, you know, pre-meeting or pre-op um, discussion and then come in and get examined. Or, you know, they the physician may ask them to go get certain labs before they come in, depending on how the conversation goes. And then, you know, some maybe um, just some sort of checkup, sort of wellness things. Um, I know behavioral health has been using it. So I think that they have um, built in telemedicine rooms, I think mm-hmm. that, and, and put those into spaces. Now, whether those are 
I would think for efficiency, they'll be in the clinical space um, more often than not, just so that the physician can go back and forth between telemedicine patients and in-person patients. So I see that. Um, I see a lot more um, practices wanting high visibility. So, um, you know, in Arizona where I live, there's a lot of sprawl and land. And there used to be when people had before 2008, 2009, early in my career, um, in the early 2000s, if a developer had a piece of land, they would just say, okay, I'm going to build a medical building. And sometimes they were successful. Now, I think the location has to be very strategic and they really want visibility. They want, they want it easy for their patients to find them. They want them to be able to see them. They want signage. That's why this um, med tail trend where a lot of um, uh, practices have considered retail locations. Parking is a big deal with that. Also visibility and, you know, their retail has also gone through its own adjustments. So there's been some available space that has been able to be, you know, adapted to uh, be reused. So all of those are still happening. Um, and then I think they've just accelerated a little bit with the pandemic where they're finally like, okay, we've been trying to make this implement this. Now we're going to do it. <laughs> we'll be right back after a quick word from me. Hey listeners, it's John Ellis here, and I wanted to take a few seconds to tell you about our presenting sponsor, ReferralMD, a fully cloud-based referral management solution. ReferralMD helps you manage your referral process like you never thought possible. In fact, ReferralMD clients reported an increase in referral conversion upwards of 25% since switching to the platform. But that's not all. Clients also increase operational efficiencies by 37% and reduce patient leakage by upwards of 65%. If any of those benefits sound good to you, and how could they not, we invite you to visit GetReferralMD.com forward slash offer to schedule your no-obligation tour of the ReferralMD software in action. Plus, as a thank you for being a listener to this podcast, you'll get 50%, that's 5-0, off your implementation fee. All you have to do to get that 50% savings is visit GetReferralMD.com forward slash offer and set up your product tour. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a, um, like I was saying, my office is tied to a outpatient surgery center, which happens to be in a pretty big retail shopping center, which all the employees love because there's, there's a Target and there's a Starbucks and there's plenty of places to walk to lunch. Um, but it's interesting, like what started as this retail center is now just a hospital and a medical office space, you know, with a target attached. And right. um, I've got a big ophthalmology group that I work with, and they've been expanding like hand over fist. And they're they're a surgical center. They're not um, not like an optometrist or ophthalmologist. And um, they've moved into a retail space. And now all of their expansion, they only want to be in retail because of the foot traffic and because of employees, making employees happy. And if there's weights, the patients can kind of walk around the retail place. And it just seems to be working for some of these some of these practices out there. And it does. And I think that, um, you know, however, whatever anyone's opinion is of the, the Affordable Care Act, it has put an emphasis <clears throat> on trying to keep people tried. I, I think the emphasis has been on, <clears throat> excuse me, hey, you know, let's let's put some preventative care in place. And uh -huh. so with preventative care, you're not necessarily sick. So, you know, with that, you're just going in to get checkups, you're going in to maintain. Um, obviously, there's some there's 
there are some practices. I mean, oncology, um, dialysis, those you're not going to put in a retail center. You want the patients to have dignity and, you know, they're very sick in in a lot of cases. So those will still, I think, be in in a location that serves the patient better than in a retail location. Um, but I think a lot of the health wellness, I mean, eyes, ears, um, you know, even dermatologists, um, if it's, if they're, cause sometimes they have, they, they do their clinics along with some med spa stuff, you know, those are very adapted to retail locations, you know, and they'll do their surgeries, you know, somewhere else. So I, I think it could, um, it really works for some practices. And, it, and it, you know, if you're like, hey, you know, if you're, you know, if you have kids too, and you're like, hey, I'm, you're going to go and they're older, for instance, and you're going to be like, but they can't drive yet. So they're in that in-between stage. You're like, hey, you need to get your eyes checked. Go get your eyes checked. I'm going to because I have a couple things to get, you know, offers you some, some convenience as well. Absolutely. And consumers expect it. And so you got to meet your potential patient where it is they want to be. And Nowadays, we have to really be concerned about what's going to make our employees want to stick around as well. So, so say I'm a doctor, I've got a couple of physician partners, we're looking to get into our own real estate versus renting. What's kind of the first couple of things that we should be thinking about as we're starting to come to this decision? Well, financing and lending, unless they're going to pay everything cash, is I think one of the biggest things they need to consider. So um, how much they can... Typically, you know, physicians can get a low cost of capital. There's a lot of um, lending institutions that will that like physicians um, because of their high net worth. They're they're constantly working, so they're they're a good risk. Um, obviously, everybody knows SBA, um, but there's you know conventional programs as well that are very favorable to uh, healthcare practices. So the first thing is start with figuring out how much you can qualify for, because that's kind of, obviously you can build your dream building, but if you can't pay for it. (laughs) Um, So I would find out that. And, you know, if you want to keep, so when you find out that, then you can understand, hey, you know, how does this relate to our current rental expense that we're, we have, is it going to increase, decrease with all the taxes, um, tax advantages of it? How does it really financially make sense for me? There is also um, a lot of partners that they could partner with in this, um, in, in the asset class, there's a lot of joint ventures with developers that specifically focus on healthcare asset class where they can own, still own a part of the building. There's different ways that they can own it. They, they can do build the suits. Um, they can build it and have somebody take um, buy it from them after they do build it. If they want to keep owning it, they could own a, a piece of it. They could become a passive investor in it where they don't have to worry about the day-to-day or they could, you know, um, st- still have a very large part of it. So there's a lot of different programs that are out there with um, joint venture developers. Um, If they're going to do a build a suit, especially that's at least I think worth having a conversation about. So, you know, I really advocate them having a lot of runway. I've I've said in a couple of their interviews, I, I think if they're leasing space, they should give themselves three years. So three years before their lease is up, they should be, and they, if they're looked, if they know that they're going to want to own a building or do a build a suit, 
um, even a build a suit, maybe even a lot longer time period. Um, but giving yourself enough runway where you're not forced into any decisions, I think is key. Um, so they can explore all the options available to them, analyze them all and see which one is the best one for them. Cause there are, there are several options, obviously. Um, then it's, you know, the inventory, what's available, what's, is there existing buildings that they can purchase for adaptive reuse instead of building from scratch? Is there a building that they can buy pretty cheap if they, and demo it? Is, is it land and building? Um, you know, there, there's all of that that needs to be analyzed. If they're going to buy a property and rezone it, then that's a whole other process. That is the rezoning process in and of itself here in Arizona is typically about six months. So, you know, that is, it's just, there's time involved that's out of anyone's control that they need to allow for. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, there's just so many unknown factors. So, you know, three years out a, a probably a good time frame. but you know, I, th- I would say most physicians, they kind of know going into it. Like, do I want to, do I want to be this or do I want to be this? And, and we all like to make sure that we, we have an investment that's going to grow. And when they're building their business, that that's definitely the case. So is there anything as they're starting to think about acquiring property or, or building their own place? Um, is there anything they should do from day one to set themselves up um, for financial success maybe upon exit or something that's going to give them the highest valuation? So the best way for them to get the highest valuation is to put at least 10 and in some cases, some, um, some investors want 15 years, but 10 is a good sweet spot. So if they're looking to sell a building, you get the highest value with being having a tenant in there. So I recommend if they, if they're, they have about 10 years left to practice ish that they start considering their real estate portfolio and what they want to do with it. Um, cause they will get the highest and best value selling it with a tenant in place. And that tenant is typically themselves. There are investors out there. There's, um, that purchase just these assets for the cash flow and, uh, they're very attracted to them. So that is the best way to do it. And, and then they are a tenant again, but they know their landlord and, and the landlord can change because they can sell, but, um, you know, they, they, some, some of, in some of these situations, the investor will dictate a lease in some situations. Um, the tenant already has a lease in place. I see a lot of this too, um, with the, with, private equity, buying a lot of these specialty practices um, where, you know, they'll, if they're, if their practice is going to be owned by a private equity and they still own the building, but they have 10 years left on it, you know, it's kind of a, a no brainer. It's kind of an easy, easy decision for them to sell and get exit out of the real estate while it still has value. Absolutely. And it, you kind of alluded to it, but at what point in a career stage should somebody start thinking about offloading their real estate or, or, or going ahead and starting that exit? I, you know, I, I think that, um, I typically see, so I don't, I don't see early careerists unless they are from a high net worth family looking to take on the expense of, of, of buying a building just because I, they come out of, they typically come out of school with a lot of loans and figuring that out. But, you know, they, they earn 
they are high in net worth earners. So, you know, they earn pretty quick. When they start to get into their mid-careers, when I see them wanting to say, hey, you know, I want to in- invest in myself. I want to, you know, create some some equity. Um, and they start exploring this option. And then, you know, there's late careerist is when, you know, they start saying, okay, how many years do I have left to practice? And it really depends on the practice. I mean, if it's a practice that has a succession plan, you know, maybe they never, you know, the, the real estate's part of the practice and becomes part of their recruiting tool. And um, there's there's companies out there that can help them structure those sorts of things. But, uh, you know, at the it it's towards the, when they're like, hey, you know, I have X amount of years left that I think I'm going to be actively practicing. So that's when they start to consider selling. But sometimes they're, they sell because they need cash for their operations. They mm-hmm. want to expand. They want to build a couple other buildings. They need to go into a couple other markets. So, so there's all different reasons to um, for them to sell and then use the money for their operations. So I've, I've seen that as well. And it's, you know, it, it offers another... Uh, way to to make money. I mean, they build it and buy it. They buy and build it themselves, so they have that cost, and they put a lease on it, and then they sell it, and they, you know, they get their the they they get the money that they put in plus you know some added value, and then they go and use that and reinvest. So it, there's it offers a lot of opportunities. Yeah, it sounds like that's the that's really the strategic tool. Is if you want to grow the practice, you use it. You know, just like when you're buying a house. Use it, use the equity, build the next thing, build the next thing, leverage it and get to the place that you want to be. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Trisha, this has been really good information. Is um, anything that I haven't asked you that you really want to touch on for our (laughs) listeners? I think this has been pretty, pretty uh, detailed and and, and intense. I would say uh, if they, if they want more information, then I think it's specific to what they're wanting to do and their specific strategy. Absolutely. And how would, um, how would anybody get a hold of you if they want to have a conversation with you? Sure. Um, so, uh, my email is T Talbot, T T A L B O T at doc properties, D O C properties.com. Um, my phone number is 480-369-7983. I do recommend, um, you know, I'm typically on the phone a lot during the day and I know that, um, physician's time is, is a sensitive. So, the best way I recommend is, you know, shoot me an email, let me know when you're available. I can give you a call or we can set up and schedule something, whatever works for you. But, um, that sort of eliminates the 20 emails of trying to coordinate schedules. Um, and, uh, so I try to make it easy for them to shoot me an email saying, Hey, I'd like to talk to you. These are the times that are most available. This is the time zone I'm in. That's, that's important as well. And then, you know, I, I can give you a call. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I get I get a lot of these 6 a.m. and yeah. 7 p.m. meetings, so yeah. I, I completely understand that. Well, Tricia, it's been great having you on the show. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Absolutely. And with that, I'm Jennifer, your host at the Healthcare Leaders Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Leadership Podcast, presented by Referral MD. If there's anything you missed from today's episode, don't worry. We take the notes for you at GetReferralMD.com slash podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, please consider pressing the subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode. 
And don't forget to leave us a rating and review to help us reach even more of our peers in the healthcare space. This podcast is presented by ReferralMD, the nation's leading centralized referral management platform for healthcare providers. Find out how ReferralMD can help you manage your referral process, decrease patient leakage, and improve communication between providers and patients at GetReferralMD.com. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.